You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Today we are on the second installment of our series called New Hope. We had Bishop Manny last Sunday preach to all of us. This series looks into the person and the works of the Holy Spirit. And today we are on Acts chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. It says here, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and limping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let us try to understand where we are at. Bishop Manny last week ended his sermon in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he ended it with by talking about the birth of the church in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. We would see the birth of the church. Now after his first sermon preached with unusual power, this is what Luke recorded in Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Here's what he says. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. And this is what they did, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Let's try to understand this for a while. If you look at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, we would understand that this was what? The day of the Pentecost. And this is a significant time in church history because as we understand, like what we said, this is the birth of the church. If you remember, the Holy Spirit baptism became the platform that enabled Peter to preach his first ever sermon, perhaps a perfect one. The Holy Spirit baptism gave Peter or enabled Peter to have the platform to preach powerfully in the power of the Spirit. And the Bible says 3,000 people were added that day. To the 120 disciples at that time. Now in our passage here in Acts chapter 3, we have here a story, a narrative of a miracle. Now, the story of miracle found here in Acts chapter 3 would serve again as another platform. This would serve again as another platform for by which Peter will preach his second sermon, which is found in Acts chapter 3 verse 11 to 26. Holy Spirit enabled Peter to preach to crowds of thousands And of course, then through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter was able to preach to their would-be persecutors. There is a common denominator here. I think this is already obvious. The common denominator here is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And it does not stop there. This is an interesting narrative that we have. Because if you go further, right after the heels of his second sermon in Acts chapter 3 verse 11 to 26, there would be persecution. Peter and John would encounter persecution and we would find that in Acts chapter 4 verses 1 to 22. 
And as a result of that persecution, this persecution has driven the church to prayer. And you can find it in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 41. And of course, we understand after that season of prayer, it has led to the triumph of the gospel. So if we come to look at that for a while, if you would look at just the pattern of the entire narrative that we have from Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, and we ask this question, who wants to be a spirit-empowered believer? Because if you start talking about spirit empowerment, that is something that is nice to hear. And if we ask the question, who wants to be a spirit-empowered believer, I would believe that all of us would raise our hands. And that is actually very good. But if you look at this narrative right here, here's what it looks like. Being a spirit-empowered believer, here's how it looks like. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach boldly and effectively. With the right incision, you will also be empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles, signs, and wonders. And those things sound interesting. Those things sound exciting. And then, as we understand in that pattern, it will lead, of course, to certain form of persecution. Some harsh, some mild, some may come just in the form of mackery. But nonetheless, it will lead to certain kind of persecution. And guess what? The severity of that persecution will drive us to prayer. And eventually, it will result in the triumph of the gospel. You know, we see these dimensions go side by side in the book of Acts. And it's quite interesting because, you know, with our limited understanding of what spirit empowerment looks like, we just start thinking about how we get to be empowered to preach the gospel and all of these things. But there are certain things that go with it. And some of these things are what we find here in the narrative of Peter and John. So having said that, if you just try to understand it for a while, it gives a picture then that, wait a second, you know, the Holy Spirit brings the potential to complicate my life. The Holy Spirit always puts us on the edge because as we understand, there's a purpose to that. And that is to what? To bring us or drive us to prayer, which will eventually result to the triumph of the gospel. I want you to understand is the Holy Spirit has the potential to complicate your life. Not in a bad sense, but actually in a good sense. If you think about that and think that Christianity is about tranquility, actually it's not. Buddhism is for tranquility. But if you look at Christianity, you know, Christianity po parang Why? In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus was talking about his kingdom, Whenever there is a kingdom expansion, there will always be an opposition. That is what we need to understand here. I remember Artie Kendall, when he was quoting um, C.S. Lewis, when C.S. Lewis was pertaining to Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, Artie Kendall paraphrased what C.S. Lewis said pertaining to the Holy Spirit. Artie Kendall said, the Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, he is not safe, but you can trust him because he is good. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said further that, when the church is revived, so is the devil. So meaning to say, if we move in spirit empowerment as believers, it is true. We might and will encounter certain oppositions. But guess what? It always drives us to prayer and will always lead to the triumph of the gospel in our homes, in our communities, in our cities, and in our nation. Now today, as we look at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, before we go there, I would like to read a portion in the end of Acts chapter 2 that connects to what we will cover today. Because I feel like if we will look at the verses 1 to 10 of Acts chapter 3, we first have to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 43. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 43, right at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says here, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Take note of this. It says, through the apostles and not by the apostles. And that is very important. You know, miracles, signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Meaning to say, it gives us a picture that this was done by God through the apostles. Done by God through the believers, through our lives. At the end of the day, it gives us a picture that being a spirit-empowered believer simply means that you are allowing yourself to be an instrument of God. And this right here, the story that we will cover here today, this is like Exhibit A. In verse 1, let's look into this now. It says here, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The temple is actually a certain form of elevation. That's why it says uh, they were going up. Now there are two words. Let's look at verse 1 for a while. And let's first look at the word temple. There are two words that are commonly used for the word temple. One pertains to the inner sanctuary, and the other one pertains to the entire temple complex. The one that is being used here in verse 1 is the latter one, which is the entire temple complex. Let's try to read it that way for a while. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple complex. And as they were going to the temple complex, here's our first question perhaps. What were they going to do there? We will see that in a while. Luke indicates that this was the hour of prayer. It says here, going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. In fact, he mentions specifically the ninth hour. Ninth hour here, as we understand, is actually 3 in the afternoon. That's 3 p.m. That is what ninth hour is. And there is relevance to that. We will cover it later. We have to take note first that there are three times of prayer in Jewish custom. First one is the morning prayers where they would be taking up sacrifices. It takes place in the temple area, and it involves sacrifices. Animal sacrifices were performed during the morning prayer hour. In the afternoon, they actually call it the evening prayer, which was this one, 3 in the afternoon, 3 p.m. This was a time wherein they would also have a time of prayer. This also involves animal sacrifices. And the last one is done in 6 in the evening, and at that hour, there are no sacrifices performed. Interestingly, the busiest time slot is the 3 p.m. time slot. If you've attended one of our services, this is like 5 in the afternoon or 5 p.m. service. You could hardly find a seat. The ushers would look for a good seat for you and stuff like that. This was rush hour kind of crowd that we're talking about. It is the time of the day when trade and work is done. No wonder people would flock the temple at this prayer hour. For them to pray. We see here that Peter and John were going to the busiest time slot. They were going to the busiest time of prayer. They were going to the 3 p.m. prayer. And here's the question. The question for us is this. Were they going up there to just pray or they want to do something else? The answer to that is yes and no. Why do we say that? Allow me to explain this for a while. In Mark chapter 6 verse 7, you know, Jesus has given his disciples what we call a pattern of ministry. Jesus established a pattern of ministry for his disciples. And this pattern of ministry gives us a clue as to what Peter and John were going to do in the temple courts. In Mark chapter 6 verse 7, here's what we have. It says here, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. 
it gives us a picture that there's a pattern of ministry here. And this pattern of ministry is actually called two by two. Meaning to say, Peter and John were going to that place, were going to the temple complex, not just because they were great baddies, not because they were just bored and they didn't know what to do. They were going to go there, of course, to pray and to do something else. They have an intention. Listen, every time they go two by two, meaning to say, that's ministry mode, that's missions mode. There was something that they want to do. And yes, they were going to go there to pray, plus to what? To preach the gospel. Peter and John have identified the busiest time slot, the busiest time of the day in the temple complex. And they decided to go there, of course, to pray and look for opportunities to preach the gospel. And it's quite interesting because if you look at that, it gives us a picture that, you know, for us as believers, every time we think about ministry, I hope and pray that when we come together for fellowship or whatever that is, I hope and pray that, you know, we have the intention as well to preach the gospel. When we are together. But at the end of the day, there has to be a certain level of intentionality for every single one of us when we come together. I remember when we were students, Alan and I would strategize. In Norsu, we would go out there and would look for students and try to strategize. I think we have to reach out to this person first before inviting this person to a victory game and stuff like that. So when we come together, there is a certain sense of intentionality. Some of our dads in the church are actually doing that. Their biking is not just for exercise. They would also utilize that time to bring in people so that they could be able to preach the gospel to them. Intentionality is actually very important. And this is what Peter and John were endeavoring to do. They went to the busiest time of prayer where people were making sacrifices. Where there's like a thick crowd around them. Why? Because they were not there to take part in the sacrifice. They were not there to take part in the sacrifice. But take note of this one. They were there to preach to the people about the final and full sacrifice that God has initiated, which happened at that very hour. So meaning to say, being spirit-empowered believer means that we are being intentional in preaching the gospel. Let me just talk about intentionality for a while. Because a lot of times, our understanding of spirit empowerment is like a spontaneous compassion. When we feel like you know the Holy Spirit is empowering us and we would stand in restaurants, in passes, and preach the gospel. And those things are good. Those things are beneficial. People would get to hear the gospel if you do those things. But I'd like for us to understand that intentionality could also involve what? That you are also spirit-empowered while you're planning, while you're strategizing as how you ought to engage or evangelize a certain friend in your workplace or in your classroom. Being spirit-empowered is not just a picture of like a spontaneous combustion. We can also be spirit-empowered as we plan and strategize, as we come together in prayer, in praying for people, as we endeavor to preach the gospel to them. In verse 2, it says here, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. To what? To ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, we understand from what Luke wrote that this man is handicapped from birth. He was also crippled and lame. And we also understand that this man right here was being carried to the temple every single day. Is a picture of hopelessness apart from his friends or family. Gives us a picture that the man was utterly dependent on his family or friends for him to beg for sustenance. That is the third character that you know Luke is showing us here. The crippled or the lame man. And it says here that he was placed at the beautiful gate. 
It's called the beautiful gate. You know, scholars would say that this is actually the Nicanor gate that Josephus, uh, the Jewish historian, speaks of. And, you know, Josephus would say that the Nicanor gate, the Corinthian gate, is actually the largest of all gates, and it is decorated by bronze. It was a strategic location to beg. Why? Because there is a steady foot traffic there. And come to think of this, we understand in this story that this was three in the afternoon, where what? Where work and trade is done. During that time, you know, people were paid on a daily basis. So imagine this, people are religious, and they are paid on a daily basis. So many to say, people would go to the temple every single day. So that's why, you know, the lame man, together with his family or friends, figured out that this is a strategic location to ask for alms. Now, as we start uncovering this further, let's talk about two perceptions for us to understand this. First, let's talk about the perception about alms. And secondly, let's talk about the perception about the poor or the lame people, the crippled person that we have here. First, let's talk about the perception about alms. You know, alms is often associated with pious action. You know, the Old Testament called for the just treatment of the disabled. You could read it in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 14, Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 18. The Old Testament calls for the just treatment of the disabled. The rabbis, their teachers would also teach that alms would actually please God. Almsgiving would actually honor God or would please God. Alright, so you get the picture. Now, secondly, let's talk about the perception about the poor and the lame. Let's talk about the general perception, the general knowledge of people about the poor and the lame. First, both Roman and Greek culture would associate disabilities with divine judgment and a consequence of bad character. And here's the sad reality at that time. The rich generally held the poor in this name. They looked down on poor people, much more the lame and the crippled. Now, that is Roman and Greek culture at that time. Now, even if you look at the Jewish people, take note of this one, the Jewish people, the very own people of Jesus, would link most sickness to sin. Many people would see their lifestyle, what they're encountering right now, as a sign of God's disfavor upon them. If you remember, in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, the very own disciples of Jesus had this wrong perception. When they saw a crippled man, they started asking Jesus, uh, Master, who sinned? Was it his parents or him that he is like this? They had a wrong perception over someone who is lame because they would always associate it with sin. They would always associate it with the punishment of God. It sounds like the general knowledge of the public about a certain person. Sometimes in our culture right now, there's what we call trial by publicity. That we judge a person based on what other people would say. And you know, that is a sad reality that we have in our world right now. If you look at this during their time, imagine if you're lame, you're crippled, and you're utterly dependent to your friends for your sustenance. There's not much that you can do, and then people would look at you with disdain. That adds salt to the wound. That's why, you know, as Christians, we have to be careful as well with our disposition. We have to be careful as well that we will not inflict a deep emotional wound to the people around us based on our countenance and disposition when they are around. The rabbis themselves, now look at this. This is very important and this is a critical part of this story that we have to understand. The rabbis, the very teachers 
of these people would not permit those with deformities, those who are crippled, those who are lame. They would not be permitted to go beyond the gate. Hanggang gate entrance lang po sila. So we know that this person with deformity was prevented to participate in what is being done beyond the gate. What is being done beyond the gate? Worship, praising God, prayers. So this man with his deformities, his being lame, which is actually genetical in nature and not consequential, and that in itself already hurts. And the fact that you are not allowed to get in to worship is a big blow. It hurts so bad. That brings about a deep-seated pain in his life. And the Bible says, if you read further, Acts chapter 3, verse 40, I'm not sure, but you would come to understand that this man is more than 40 years old, meaning to say he has been a social outcast. He has been excluded for more than 40 years of his life. And worse than that, he is unable to enter the sanctuary because of what? Because of his deformity. He is not allowed to worship because of his deformity. And that is crazy. Imagine, imagine the monotony of this man's life. Tayo nga, ECQ pa lang, GCQ. Parang when you're quarantined at home, parang kating-kating na tayo lumabas. We wanna go out. This man right here has been crippled for 40 years. Derek Thomas puts this in these words, he says, It was a pitiful existence with little relief, he said. The sheer monotony of his life is enough to elicit sympathy from the hardest heart. This man was living in brokenness. He was living in a life where you know, people wouldn't want to have anything to do with him. So I don't know what the general perception of the people towards him is. Did they pity him or was he a nuisance? In verses 3 and 4, and this is where Peter and John comes in. I love that. In the midst of brokenness, we understand that God will always come into the rescue. And it says here, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. Here's the story. He asked to receive alms. And look at this one. It says here, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. Imagine this. With the hundreds, if not thousands of people passing by with the busyness of the crowd, the thickness of the crowd, with the mission at hand of Peter and John, with the mission at hand which is to preach the gospel, Luke says, Peter directed his gaze at him. Peter zeroed in on this person. What do we catch here? You know, Peter and John had a small window. The only time slot, three to four perhaps, this is the only time slot that we have to be able to preach the gospel. We have to hurry. They have a small window to preach the gospel in such a massive crowd. Yet, even with the fact that they were men on a mission, they understand, we understand this story that being a spirit-empowered person, being a spirit-empowered believers means that we hear and discern the cries of the broken. We hear and discern the cries and the brokenness of the people. We hear their cry. We hear their brokenness. Spirit empowerment is not just being able to preach the gospel boldly. Spirit empowerment is not just being able to preach the gospel eloquently. Spirit empowerment is hearing and discerning God's heart for the broken. Spirit empowerment is walking closely in the Spirit and understanding His nudge as He ushers in people in our life 
who might need ministry. That is also a picture of spirit empowerment. Because after all, what is spirit empowerment for if there is no recipient? If we are not keen with the leading of the spirit, then what is spirit empowerment for? The next question that we ought to perhaps ask is, what was his brokenness? What was the brokenness of this person? Are his deformities his only brokenness? And we would understand that in what Peter says next. And this is quite interesting. And I'd love for us to embrace this, including myself. Look at this one. Here's what Peter said. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He looks at this man, gazed at him for a few seconds. And Peter said, look at us. He was talking to this person and says, look at us, modern day beggars in our time right now, modern day beggars would look at you in the eye and would beg from you. They would even approach you and call you, uh, sir, ma'am, mga itagkwarta pang sopas. And you know, they would do that. They have the audacity to do that. And of course, you know, we give them loose coins, we give them money, we give them 20 pesos, 50 pesos for them to get their meals. But during their time, this man, who was a social outcast, take note of this one, he was shrouded in shame. He could not even look at people. Many to say this person, the very fact that Peter demanded from him or asked him to look at us gives us a picture that the entire time, this man was just looking at the ground. At that time, in begging, one of the things that does not happen is eye contact. He's just looking at people. He's just looking at the ground and waiting for anyone, any passersby who might have compassion and give them money. Friends, this man's head was bowed because of how he was treated for more than 40 years. The treatment over this person came in two forms. It's either a cold treatment or a harsh treatment. Both things are bad treatment towards this crippled and lame man. I don't know with you, but in the season of quarantine, there are several things that we have to open our eyes to. The season of quarantine, this has given us a picture of the disparity of the different people in the society. You have people who could afford their meal and they would tell on social media that I'm longing to get out, I'm longing to go out of the house sana matapos na tong quarantine na to para makapamasyal na ako sa mall. I wanna go out of the house because I need a breath of fresh air, I need to see my friends, I need to go into fellowship and all of these things. I need to eat at my favorite restaurant. And there's another group of people who would say stuff like, I need to go out of the house. Why? Uh, Because there's like three families of us in one kubo, in one house, and we only have one electric fan. Gives us a picture of disparity that we have in our society. Perhaps a good question to ask for us as a church, as individuals is, you know, do you think God will give us a passing mark? For how we acted during this time of crisis, have we been generous to the people around us? And when they talk about our response, I'm not talking about program or Instagram. Okay lang, my church program. Remove the church program. Left on our own. Would we be generous to people around us? And I hope and pray that we're not doing this for Instagram, for social media. You know, people have with them different kinds of brokenness. You would see this in our world right now. Have you ever witnessed someone? Even in your own classroom, have you witnessed someone who was being excluded simply because people said that they were ugly? They were excluded from groupings and all of these things because of their ugliness, as described by some of their friends in the classroom? How about racism, which is a very big issue in our our day right now, that people would be judged based on the pigment on their skin? And it's good that we are acting on this even if we're far off from the United States and we're looking into what's happening. 
It's good that we're getting involved, but we have to understand as well, I myself included, that I have to be careful as well whenever we label people different things. When we label people putut or niwang or tambok or lagum. Sometimes we do those things. And it's the same thing. We add salt to the wound. You know, when Peter asked this person, look at us, take note of this. Just by talking to the beggar, he has already clothed him with dignity. Are you a poor man's friend? If any, the incarnation of Christ should have already taught us something. Then in verse 5, it says here, and he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Why? Because Peter said, look at us. Man, for like what? For like decades, no one has ever talked to him that way. And now someone demands to look at him in the eye. He was expecting something. The man turns his attention to Peter with a hopeful expectation. After all, why else would he talk to him? So there was a hopeful expectation. He was expecting for gold. He was expecting for silver. He was expecting that Peter would get something from his bag, from his tunic. Not knowing that he was going to get more than what he was bargaining for. In verse 6, it says here, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. Imagine the crippled and lame man hearing that. Siguro sabi ni Peter, Ito, ito meron ako, ito meron ako. Ito lang po, ito lang. You know, Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I have, what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's what he said. When Peter said, I have no silver or gold, he was essentially saying, I am as broke as you are. I am as poor as you are. You know, that's chapter 3, verse 16. If I'd like to pull this verse for a while. By faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Gives us a picture that this man actually won. Placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Daryl Box said, God took initiative to bring needy people to Peter. And Peter took initiative to bring Jesus to someone who needed him. They were moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter took him by the right hand, verse 7, and raised him up. Why is that so? Because the problem with telling a lame man to rise and walk is he does not have the ability to rise and walk. That's why if you look at these verses, Peter needed to take him from the arm and yank him up. That is basically what we have here. Took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately, the Bible says, his feet and ankles were made strong. Take note, friends. The one who's writing this, who did the interview, was a doctor. That's why Luke was really interested with these details that we have here. Immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. And the Bible says in verse 8, this is interesting. I love this part. It says here, Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The fact that he was lame from birth and he's now over 40 years old, perhaps 44, 46, we don't know. It serves to magnify the incredible healing that transpired to him, that transpired in this story right here. And in verse 8, there is an emphasis to the man leaping, Bible says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What is one thing that you need to take note of? In this story, it says here, he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Friends, look at this one. For over 40 years, 
This man was prevented by people to enter the gates of the temple. His healing here goes beyond the physical. Why? Because as he went inside the temple and for the first time in his life, he joined the chorus of people worshiping and praising God and his voice probably was the loudest one in the crowd. That's why people took notice of him. There is a spiritual parallelism to this. This is not just physical healing. This is spiritual healing that's taken place for 44, 46 years of his life. He was prevented from getting in to worship God because of his deformity. The healing of the deformity enabled him to come before the presence of God. Note, friends, that his immediate response to his healing is to worship God. Bible says he immediately went inside the temple with them and praised and worshiped God. He was leaping for joy. I can just imagine every single one of the crowd looking at him. Who is this person? And finally, they started recognizing him. He now is a recipient, not of a charitable deed, but of the miraculous power of the Spirit. The healing transforms the man's life. He no longer sits at the gate looking inside, probably in hopelessness. As he was asking for alms, most likely this was his life. He would be asking for alms, but he couldn't look at the crowd. So he was just looking at what's happening inside the temple complex. And he could only hope that he could participate in worshiping God. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has enabled him to come before his presence. Verse 9 and 10, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized, and we're going to end with this, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. My goodness, friends, like what I said, this serves as the platform for Peter to preach his second powerful sermon. The same magnitude and power as his first one. You see, this gives us a picture again. The people were filled with wonder and amazement. Every time a miracle happened, at the end of the day, it is for our good, but it is for the glory of God. You know, miracles serve to authenticate the authority of Jesus. If you are broken, I want you to understand. God's eyes are on you. It's a lie to think that God's hands are heavy upon you. To the contrary, his eyes are on you. And he's more than willing to extend his hand to cause healing to come upon in your life. Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 to 6, we're going to end with this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In this narrative that we have here in Acts chapter 3, this gives us a picture of the progressive restoration of our pre-fall condition. That is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus initiated this. He started healing the blind, the deaf, and the lame. But we see this also continuing through Peter. And in fact, we see this also later on in the ministry of Paul. You know, the first coming of Christ ushered in the beginning of the God's restoration in the world. And his second coming, we will see the consummation of this project that God is doing. One of the reasons we rejoice as Christians is the fact that we have a promise that one day all physical disabilities will be gone. That we will receive new bodies, a glorified one that will never perish or appear like they are perishing. That is one of the promises that God has given us. However, we have to take note that this is not just talking about our physical healing. Dennis Johnson said, Astonishing as it is for a man of 40 who has never walked to leap in the temple 
the cure of hearts, he says, paralyzed in sin is even greater. The spiritual aspect of that is far greater than the physical healing that he has experienced. Being in the presence of God is more indescribable than him being able to walk, having been lame and crippled all his life. Just as Peter commanded for the crippled man to rise up and walk, in the same way we understand that sinners are also asked to repent and believe. We know that physical miracles convey spiritual truths. Derek Thomas said, We are spiritually in the position that the lame man was in physically. If this lame man was going to be healed, someone other than himself must do it. As we look forward to our physical restoration, at the resurrection, the far greater purpose is the fact that the people are being ushered into the kingdom of God. That we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God, just as the lame man was ushered into the courts of the temple. Our hope, friends, is not just temporal healing, but eternal and spiritual healing for our soul. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.